as many of you know, and uh, this has kind of been a bit of a, getting a bit of repeated airplay lately, but Jen and I bought a house a couple of years ago that needed some work. All right, it was more than just bricks and dirt. You know, it had some good bones, had a lot of potential. The present livability was good as well as its future potential. And, and so we got the thing, we got it cheap because a lot of people looked at the place and just thought, nah, too much hard work. But because I, I use my brain a lot in, in, in my current job, um, I do, I really do, I promise. Uh, <laughs> um, because my brain is quite active a lot in, in work, it's actually quite therapeutic for me to get on the tools at home and start tinkering with, with renovations and stuff like that and, and learning and using my brain a different sort of way. And um, it's actually quite, believe it or not, restful for me, but some people don't find it their cup of tea. Hospitality is a big thing for Jen and I. And uh, our house that we got, one of the first things we ripped into and uh, was the kitchen. That was, an, that was our no-brainer, and we got onto that pretty swiftly. It's in the very exact center of this whole house. And, uh, and with some help in, of people in this building, uh, I was able to get that up relatively simple and, and uh, got a good kitchen there. But because of our endless summers here in Man Mount Gambia, we also had to have a pergola done. This is how it started. If you've been to my place, you know how it looks now. This was my pergola. And I'm dreaming of having great outdoor entertainment spaces in that. That photo was taken about August when I had to have Christmas lunch there in, by December. The design of this thing was actually quite concerning. I first noticed problems when my Foxtel guy couldn't actually find something solid to lay his ladder against on that structure. Then I remembered the hard way a few months later that that thing had structural problems when I tried to jump on it and do some chin-ups. <laughs> I would lean on those uprights to the right of the screen there and it would move too easily. And as I started to go through and play with that thing, I realized that pretty much nothing was nailed down. It was a miracle the thing was standing. Like, honestly, I don't know how that thing lasted the distance it did. And Jen's gone, can you take out Pagola and put a roof on it? And I'm like, no. No. The only answer to my situation was to actually destroy it, take it all down and start again. The foundations of that thing, the concrete under it, was actually really good. I had to drill several times in it to put either, um, you know, mounts in and diner bolts, and the concrete didn't fail even once. You know, you drill and sometimes everything just splinters. Never that problem at all. I was able to reclaim all the timber that's across the top there. The uprights were another story. Gave it a coat of paint. It's gone from this awful red to a monument color, dark gray. And I've nailed that thing so firmly that World War III can't move it. Or our southerlies. Line ball, which one's more powerful? And eventually, I was able to confidently walk on it in my then 120 kilo frame and fit roofing to it. 
But I couldn't do that until the foundations did their work. And I definitely wasn't going to put roofing on that thing until the frame was rock solid. We are entering the second phase of a preaching series titled Under Construction. We're looking at a life that is built in stages, which e with each one showing more and more of a finished product. And each stage is going to take us a month to unfold. Our text of inspiration for this series, one that we could look as a possible artist impression or a blueprint of what it takes for a life of discipleship to build up, has been Second uh, Peter chapter one, verse three to eleven. Also, the Bible app, the Uversion Bible app, has notes for this event as well. So uh, feel free to go to the notes there. It's a new month and a new phase of construction, so we're going to do the monthly revisit to that passage, to the builder's plan. And it's in our main passage that we've been looking at over the course and will through the course of the year is this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We'll have this memorized by the end of the year. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through him you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. All right, that will be one we will probably have memorized. Now, our building project, which is called Life, is about to start taking shape. A month ago, we only started with plans and grace. We had an artist impression and a system of infrastructure already in place. That's what we've learned so far. Peter the artist presented a picture of a life committed to being transformed more and more in the, into, into the image of Christ. He drew us a life that was separate and rescued from the moral corruption of the world. It would be productive, it would be effective, it would be clear-sighted. There would be the ability and the desire to lift our eyes in Jesus' direction, to place him completely in our sights and be able to go the long haul with him in eternity. And just like me, Mount Gambier proofing my pergola, this life described by Peter holds firm when it's shaken. Persecution was there on one front, seduction was on the other. But this sort of life in Christ that Peter is describing to us here can stand surely in the face of all of that. We've had some active, engaged foyer conversation over the last six weeks. 
And we've had a crazy number of download, podcast downloads. We've actually broken the internet. We've had to reset things. So that indicates that we're all okay with the design set before us and people are engaged with what we're having to say here. It's also helpful that the infrastructure for such a grand design is already in place. The grace of God and the power that he gives us it sets us up to succeed. All right, If you think you can't make it in Christian faith, you're telling the cross it has no power and you're telling God he can't get you over the line. God, by his grace, has put so many things into this structure that is being built in you and I. Anything built in his name is simply going to work. When we think about infrastructure, I think of this. A bunch of people in our town live in fear of ever needing to move from bottle gas to town gas. When I was looking at properties, I found a lot of houses on, on bottled gas. And the agents were cautioning me about one day the gas company might say, you have to have town gas, and that's a very expensive thing to retrofit. Sometimes we get to be worried about that. I ended up getting a fully electric house. <laughs> but there's nothing to retrofit in what God builds in us. It's already there. Others in a noble pursuit of environmental preservation or just saving a dollar or two will seek to get off grid as much as they can. But the power and the resources in place through grace actually calls us to not be conservative in any way with what he provides. We don't have to go off grid with the things of grace. Instead, we're supposed to completely plug in. We've then taken four weeks to lay a foundation with four very different voices speaking into this stage and none of us getting anywhere near close to exhausting the topic. I've really appreciated the, the other voices that have joined me on this stage and I'm, I'm, I think Andrew did a great job last week too. You know, we, we, there, is, there is great thought processes going on as we start to consider these things and faith is a deep subject to try to unfold. After those four weeks, our study of faith has cured somewhat. Conviction is forming. And I'm standing on something here, metaphoric of our faith. The only thing moving is this thing. But I'm standing on this thing without any reservation about its ability to hold me. And our faith can be the same thing too. Our faith is a foundation that we can hold, that we can hold to, that it will hold us up. Our faith over time forms convictions, and those convictions are set, become things that we can step on with full confidence, knowing that not once. We don't, I'm not walking on this going, gee, is anything going to give? No, because we have a very, very good system of conviction that I'm standing on right now. Our faith is that firm foundation and conviction forms and it'll hold. We're now going to start giving this thing a shape. We're going to start building a sturdy 
windproof, stormproof, persecutionproof, seductionproof. Frame. The framework of our Christian life is crucial. It's the important stage of building that will give shape to the way our life of faith is going to develop. When things lean on us, this will give us an idea of whether we stand or don't. As a framework comes together, we start to really learn a lot about ourselves. We learn more about what we're capable of doing, and we start getting glimpses of the plan God has for us when we're fully constructed. When you see a frame erected around a building project, all of a sudden, all the rooms and the hallways and the kitchen space, all those things have perspective, and you suddenly see what this thing is about to start becoming, right? Even though the walls aren't up, you've still got an idea of space and, and room and, and, and outline, and, and, and you've got an idea. In verse 5, we read what it takes to make up the framework to faith. To faith, add goodness. Goodness is the framework. This is a word with some really deep ideas to it. There are some really cool ways to explore goodness. As we pursue it in the Scriptures, we can get some very good insights about what it is and we can also deduct what it is clearly not. In the original language, the word loosely translates as moral excellence. And I'm going to highlight at this point to us all that Peter is still not telling the church to merely try harder here. The infrastructure that is in place throughout this whole building is not just sitting under a mound of concrete. When you think of a building, you use taps because they're mounted into the walls. The pipes have come up into the walls. We use electrical switches, not by getting to the floor, but by touching the walls, right? We have light fittings in the roof. We have infrastructure permeating the entire structure. The grace gifts of God permeate all that we are and everything that is being built up in us, the grace of God is there carrying us through that. So this is not Peter telling us to try harder. Instead, Peter is calling us to tap, see what I did there? To tap into the propelling part of our faith, remembering that enabled by the Spirit, we are empowered to live out a way of life that is morally excellent. This ancient Greek concept of goodness has two key things being implied in its meaning. Excellent morality can be expressed in two distinct and complementary ways. When both those things are present and balanced, something really special happens in our lives. By the end of next week, I'll be able to show you how this works. But first, this is going to start getting awfully heavy, I think. It'll be on wheels by next week. 
Dale's worried about his guitar. wave about a bit, that's fine. Moral excellence starts with excellence in the area of character. When you ask someone about their character, more often than not, you're looking for someone that, something that goes beyond what we see in a person. My best friend's in the armed forces, and, and every couple of years when he's up for promotion, I get a phone call from a number in Canberra asking about my friend's character. And I'm like, you guys know him pretty well by now. Oh, but we need to know his character. Well, haven't you got an idea of his character? Well, we need another perspective of it. Fine, so I indulge him and go through that. A character reference is something often used in job applications where the employer is looking for subtle things in a person that go beyond this impressive CV. A character reference in a legal situation is often sought to give insight about the inner workings of a person, hopefully showing in a legal situation that outward actions may actually not be in line with the outer workings or the, or the value system of a person. The Bible speaks a lot about the issue of character. We see that God is actually quite concerned with the inner workings of our life. Some examples today. Proverbs 16 is a good start. People may think all their ways are pure, but motives, what really drives us, are weighed by the Lord. It's a good thing to look in the mirror and go, what are my motives? And God, what are you doing with that? The Sermon on the Mount has elements of character going in on it. Jesus calls for a righteousness that exceeds the way of the Pharisees. The Pharisaic way was all about doing the right actions. But Jesus revisits the commandments, and instead of going to the extreme outward expression like Pharisees often did, he calls the audience to look deeper inside. Murder happens when we hate and let, let hate and disdain in. Adultery is already going on when you're well into your second glance and your thoughts go to that bad place. The law had a heart element, a character element to it, that Jesus didn't want to see be overlooked in all this. And I think part of this is because the new covenant, the Jeremiah 31 covenant, actually was going to be written on the heart. It was going to appeal to the inner workings, the character part of our understanding of the law. The writer of Hebrews notes that God's word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows, and, and judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. Again, we are getting called to account here through the presence of the Spirit for our thoughts and our attitudes, the things that are going on in our character. 
It's fair to say the scriptures warn us multiple times about the issue of character. And it's clear that the Lord is intimately concerned with what is going on inside of us. Our writer here, Peter, isn't aloof from this journey either. He knew all about having a a faulty character too. In one example, the big one, before Jesus is being Jesus is being tried, and before the even the arrest happens, what's he saying? Everyone else is going to leave you, Lord, but I'll be there and I'll die right beside you. We all know how that turned out. That was never the case, right? No, the minute the crunch time come, the minute the hothouse happens, the minute the decision needed to be made, I don't know him. Jesus restored him from that, of course. But when his character needed to step up, it didn't. We're now reading a letter 30 years later. We've got 30 years of experience and restoration and wisdom behind uh, Peter here, and he's now able to articulate the things that matter. Learning when we read this that he has learnt this the hard way. When your faith gets solid, when conviction is forming, the next step in building your life is to get your character in order. Get our inner workings right because what is inside eventually comes out. Jesus made that clear too, Luke 6. Good people bring good things out of the good stored up in their hearts. And evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in their hearts. And tied to that, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our character is determined by the things stored up inside of us. The place the Bible simply calls the heart, the inner workings of us. Good character comes by filtering the things we put in it. This means filtering our thought patterns and finally filtering the many voices of the world around us. And if it's not good, tell it to move on. Philippians 4.8, Paul challenges us to think on right things. Think about true and honorable things. Think about things that are morally right. Things of things which are excellent and praiseworthy. Look for a reason every day to praise the Lord for something. Look for a reason to praise others. Look for a reason to have, to be affirming of things and stuff like that. There's some really cool things in that particular passage. Whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. 1 Corinthians 15, this is in regard to people spreading bad doctrine. Remember that bad company corrupts good character. Empowered by the Spirit and resting on solid faith, we can in fact take control of our character. We have control of the things that feed it and we determine its diet. One of the old cliched sayings about character is this, sow a thought, you reap an action. Sow an act, an action, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, you reap a destiny. 
Our challenge this morning is to consider the things that feed into our characters and determine what is excellent and what is not. And bear this in mind that one way of describing excellence, excellence and perfection are not the same word. Oh, I'm only going to focus on perfect things. Good luck. That takes us back to that try harder argument. No. One way of describing excellence is simply asking ourselves, is this the best thing? Thinking about behaviours, thinking about inputs, thinking about influences, thinking about habits and behaviours. Is this the best thing? Excellence is our personal best. Excellence is the best thing that we can do empowered by the Spirit. It's not human perfection. That comes in eternity. But what is best in the Spirit's leading and what is best at this time in my life? Are we getting, or seeking for that matter, the best godly advice that builds our character? Look at people like Rehoboam, took over from his dad Solomon. He had two lots of input, right? The older, wiser, the younger, more brash. And goes, all right, what do you guys say about the situation I'm in? And he got two very types of, you know, the, what the elders actually said was actually the best thing. He needed to take that on board. The young guys had no idea what was best. Are you taking on the best godly advice that builds your character? Are we hanging with the best people that the God of his community is making available to us? Are we pursuing the best things that God would have us pursue? Are we filtering the inputs so that only the best things take root and propel? As I read the scriptures, something that kind of stood out to me this week was that the input into our character is actually more controllable than what comes out. Out of our heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth is just going to echo what is already going on inside. But what goes in is something we control more so. Hmm. So, moral excellence has excellent character. And I'll install another part of the frame next week to talk about the other excellent element of moral excellence. But today, I just want to wind up just on the issue of character. Over the last few years... In the blogs I read, in the articles I subscribe to, the chatter amongst other ministers. Seems like at least a few times a year, someone in a high-profile church role fails in the area of goodness. And mostly in spectacular fashion. So many mega-church pastors in recent years have collapsed at at the hurdle of character. Closer to home, just this week, I had lunch with a guy who did many years of ministry and was elevated by everyone who worked with him. But is now a shadow of his former self, quite frankly. It was heartbreaking. And it's not an isolated case. So many Christians begin well. 
So many ministers get out the blocks really well. But then so many become disqualified through an inability to let the Spirit inspect their character. I see a common mistake a bunch of these guys have made. And I remember some advice from one of my mentors years ago, Dr. Camille Majdali. Great guy, very wise. But just highlighted to me that when we are able to settle for the lesser thing, when we substitute charisma for character, character won't stand. Charisma gets us in the door, but character completes us through the journey. I've actually taught kids that in every high school I've ever been in for years. Hundreds of people have heard that repeated. We can smile, we can give you all the answers, we can, I can show up at a search committee and I can smile and promise everybody that I'm, in, I'm exactly what you guys need and I'm going to deliver all these things and I'm going to, I'm going to meet what, what it is you guys are expecting, but three years on, I'm actually three years here next week. It takes time for a character to show itself. Hopefully mine is on display by now. But the fatal mistake at this stage of our building process is to substitute character for the lesser quality of charisma. We can all pull a crowd, we can make people like us, we can put on a good show, but eventually the reality of our hearts will come out. And all that we have fed our characters will clearly emerge. Usually under pressure, usually in spectacular fashion, and the very first escape route is our mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in the power of the Spirit, add goodness. Add moral excellence. Starting with excellent character. I want to give you some basic bullet points to help you do that. One, Start by getting comfortable with the audience of one, not the praise of many. Start by getting comfortable with the audience of one, not the praise of many. You don't get more excellent input than God himself. He is the only audience that truly matters. You guys sitting here listening to me, that's awesome. But my greatest audience is the one I have to sit in the presence of throughout my life and throughout the week. The audience of one. Allow the audience of one to search us, to show us even the deepest shadows of our being. Give him permission to hit that little torch icon on his phone and walk around and actually shine some lights on things. Elements of our character hide in the shadows at times. Ask him to show us where the cracks in our character is. Show us where one of the beams isn't nailed down. Show us where one of the screws is a little bit too short. 
show us where it's not braced anywhere near enough. This will be eventually, I promise. <laughs> As we do this, remember the words of David in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Wow. We want everybody to believe we've got it all together, but the Lord actually wants to get to that anxiety as well. See if there is any offensive way in me. I believe that offensive thing, obviously God is going to go, oh, that's on the nose. If it's, in, if it's on the nose in his presence, it's going to be on the nose in other people's presence too. And lead me in the way everlasting. And start being a sentry to things we once didn't filter. Guard what we watch. Guard what we hear, what we take in. Be careful about what we binge on Netflix. Be careful what we click on. Be careful where our conversations over coffee lead us. Be careful where our glances go and our mind goes to in our personal time. Be careful what we read and what we will grow from. With everything, as we do this, ask ourselves, are there more excellent options for us? Is our character being fed by what is best? Are we tapping into the best things of the Spirit? Are we being enriched by the best people that God has placed in our lives? Are we pursuing the best things, the excellent things, in our various expressions of ministry, both here and miles abroad, in family, in all of life? If we get our character right, this framework of goodness that will eventually emerge will come together really well. I can't, be, I can't wait to show you how the other part of this goes. I've got an equation to teach you. Excellent character plus equals this. I'm going to finish with that next week. But for now, let's just come back to that search me, oh God part. Let's just pray for a moment.